This is everything you want to know about non-clinical careers for physicians. For Third Evolution, I'm your host, Robert Pretty. You have questions, and in this podcast, I'm going to attempt to provide you with some answers. I do receive quite a few questions and comments from the podcast, and they've reached a certain critical mass. So I want to dive in and turn this into a Q&A session. I'll also insert a reminder here that if you have a question or a comment, you can easily contact me with voice, message, or text at 720-339-3585. Again, that's 720-339-3585. Looking over my questions, some relate to medical practice issues, some medical management development and and management issues, and certainly several to non-clinical career questions. So let's just jump in. The first question is this, is it better to work with multiple recruiters or just one? Well, sounds simple, but it does depend on a variety of factors. And the, the questioner did not specify whether they were speaking of medical recruiters or executive recruiters. So I'll speak to both. If you're a practicing physician seeking to move to another medical practice setting, then I find it to your advantage to generally use several recruiters. You should ask those you contact, however, to describe their scope of work focus. That is, first, make sure they regularly place physicians of your specialty. Then, make sure they place physicians in the geographic locations you're seeking. And then, lastly, inquire about their existing contact network of organizations. That is, do they have a working relationship with organizations in which you would be interested? Some recruiters work primarily with health systems, some more with independent practices and groups. So, match the recruiter to your objectives. If you follow this type of an interview process, it will allow you to engage recruiters who serve as broad or as focused a market as will satisfy your objectives. It will also remove some of that guesswork that is innate to trying to make a selection process based simply on a numbers game. Are three recruiters enough or seven too many? If you're already a physician executive and you're managing your career life cycle and have decided it's time to move on, then you have some different choices. You may want to contact some of the larger, more prominent healthcare search firms and present yourself as a candidate to one of their senior-level recruiters. That process is at least worth a try, and if you're actively taken in by one of these seasoned recruiters, you may have an actual advocate who will present you not only to known openings, but also to organizations you suggest or request on the basis of your ability to grow and expand organizational objectives. Regardless, do your homework. Visit the company's website, learn about their staff, and if someone has some experiences that match with yours, that should influence your choice. Also, if they have a current search that matches with your objectives, that's an added reason for them to speak to you now. Again, it's certainly worth the attempt to make those types of contacts, and generally, you're only going to approach four or six firms. There aren't that many. If you do make a recruiter connection, don't be surprised if you're asked not to work with other firms. That in this context, is a reasonable request. The other avenue is to search jobs online that are being placed by a recruiter and then use that online information as a basis to select that recruiter. That is, if a recruiter is conducting a search for an organization you would like to work for or for a similar organization, it probably defines them as someone working in the space you wish to occupy. Whether the specific opening they are seeking to fill is one you would want is not relevant. The relevance is their access to the organizations and the job levels that match your objectives. Your objective then is to simply get your credentials in their file, to get on their radar. 
If you spend a day scanning the internet, you should certainly identify at least five or six recruiters, perhaps more, who fit your criteria. My recommendation is to attempt to work with each one. Lastly, if you're a practicing physician seeking a recruiter to help you land an executive or administrative position, well, good luck. What I've said to many physicians is this, I would not have had this business for a decade and a half if practicing physicians could just as easily call a recruiter to help them find a job. In other words, I'm yet to find a recruiter who regularly places physicians directly from practice to the non-clinical world. And I do look frequently. It's just part of my own research due diligence. So the long answer to the short question is, it depends. It depends on the next career step you want to take and the position from which you will be making that step. The next question, this is practice related, and the question is this. As a part-time physician executive, how do you keep your finger on the pulse of the important relationships that may involve physician colleagues, referral sources, and other potentially important relationships? What's the balance I should maintain between being too overbearing or too distant? Now, that's a good question. This really goes to career development and management. I always say practicing medicine is very much like living in a cloistered life. Most physicians don't give much thought to the world outside of their offices or operating rooms. So when you begin to think beyond medical practice and start to think about the need to meet and engage with people, whether to expand on a predominantly practice-based career or to move into a non-clinical career area, the question is, who do I speak with and what do I say? Another way to phrase this caller's question might be to ask, how do I effectively manage a networking strategy to advance my practice and my career? For me, at least, that terminology makes the objective and the answer much clearer. I've spoken and written extensively about networking. The key to effective and successful networking, whether in a clinical or non-clinical environment, is simply this. Learn to provide value. If you're focused on your colleagues, ask yourself what interests them. What do they want? How can I help them in a meaningful way? If you begin providing information, resources, perhaps even referrals to them, they are most likely to respond to you in a similar manner. However, one point of order. Years ago, when I was a college undergrad, the head of my division, I was a PR major when I was in college within the School of Journalism, and our academic leader defined public relations as this, doing good and getting credit for it. He always emphasized that the critical element of PR was getting the appropriate credit. And I will say the same to you. If you're looking to improve your networking, all the things I suggested, learning others' interests, learning what others want, providing them with value, make sure they know the efforts come from you and are intentional. Make sure you are getting appropriate credit for your networking. I'll add to this in saying networking is not a direct quid pro quo. Don't expect that, but rather do good for others, gauge their response, and look at networking as an ongoing process where the inputs and outputs, what you provide and the credit you receive will probably not be situationally proportionate. But over the long haul, that should even out. If they don't, then you may be engaged in a no-win relationship, and that should be evaluated in your greater quest for advancement or change. Okay, the next question I have is this. Should I get an MBA if I'm wanting to leave medical practice for an executive, executive job? Again, it's a great question, and it's frankly somewhat complicated. My short answer to, is this. 
And whether you're considering an MBA, MPH, MHA, or any other master's level degree, the answer is no. Let me clarify. No, not if a newly obtained MBA and your medical practice experience represent the totality of your combined credentials. Let me explain. In preparing for today's podcast, I googled physician executive jobs. What I found was this. I stopped reading at about a dozen postings, and I thought that was enough of a sample for this conversation. First, a third requested an MBA, and about half said it would be preferable. However, more importantly, 100% required between three and seven years of executive or administrative experience. Most defined that experience using phrases like showing measurable results, demonstrating increasing levels of responsibility, and developing or managing specific initiatives and activities matching the job offering. My response to the MBA question is that the degree is not particularly relevant if you don't have the requisite experience. In other words, having the degree without using the knowledge minimizes its value. And so I'm often asked, how do I get the experience if I can't get the job? Well, the answer to that question is simply process. There are basically two avenues to career change. One avenue is scouring the internet to apply for jobs. The other is networking. Successfully applying for jobs online is predicated on matching literally every criteria listed. And most of you listening to this can't do that. Successfully networking your way into the career you want is predicated on convincing someone you can solve their problems, a problem you've defined as a component of your experience and skill set. Once you've managed a networking-driven career change, then let that new employer pay for your MBA or pay for it yourself during your employment. Either way, the material and the information will have much more meaning if you're actually testing and using it daily in your job. And then, when it's time to reevaluate your career life cycle, the next time and make your next move, you'll have both the required experience and the preferred degree. What that means is you'll employ a combined networking and recruiter-driven job search, and it will be much, much easier the second time around. One last point about educational objectives as you contemplate career change. Ask yourself whether you want or need a degree or if you want or need information. If it's a degree you're after, then my advice stands. However, if it's information you believe you need, check out local community colleges for courses that represent the information you want and ones taught by instructors who are actually doing daily what they're teaching. Then just audit the course. You don't need or even want the degree per se. What you want is the information. And when your informational needs have been satisfied, just stop attending the class. Okay, here's another question from my file. I'm interested in being involved in telemedicine. How do I get ahead of the masses? Position myself well, and what are the legal issues I need to address? Okay, so two parts. How to get started in telemedicine, both functionally and legally. So let me address the legal question first. I'm not a lawyer, so my best legal advice is to consult with an attorney in the jurisdiction or jurisdictions in which you want to provide services. I would suggest engaging one acutely familiar with the Medical Practice Act in those jurisdictions, as I believe that is the basis of your question. However, if your objective is to go further and develop and brand a telemedicine service at a broader scale, then you may also want some advice pertaining to trademarks, licensing, and intellectual property. In short, 
my non-legal advice is to seek out very good, appropriate legal counsel. But now, let's discuss the purely product elements of telemedicine. And first, you should consider your advice and information in the context of product or a group of products. As you begin, enumerate what you plan to present and how. Do you want to continue in an interventional capacity, addressing a call or texted in questions of patients one at a time? Or do you want to push information out on various platforms, information that may be consumed by audience members on their own schedule? Or do you want to do both? You'll likely find your legal counsel will address each product discreetly. Each may reside within a different, different set of access and delivery rules that affect liability and even licensure. But back to products. In defining what you want to offer, you will also find you're addressing the how of your offerings, of your products. That is, how will they be delivered? Your question used the term telemedicine. But telemedicine today is very different from tele telemedicine five years ago and vastly different from telemedicine 20 years ago. And it will certainly continue to evolve in the years ahead. Today, my experiences with, and I'll say in quotes, telemedicine are based on two communications avenues. One is text, the other is video. You may choose to employ one or both, or perhaps even literally the telephone. However, in considering channel distribution of your product, do consider podcasting along with blogs. So let me just run through the channel distribution list for you to consider. Texting, messaging, email, telephone, video casting, podcasting, and blogging. And each of these may utilize more than one platform or application. There are both logistical and legal questions to address. But today, video is so easily accessed and provides so much better information, I would suggest video represent at least one channel for your product distribution. And certainly from a branding perspective, video will probably represent your, your strongest channel opportunity. So let's recap to this point. First, define your intended products. Second, define your potential channels. And three, answering those two questions should give you the basis for a very productive discussion with legal counsel. Now, with product and channel distribution in hand and knowledge of any legal issues resolved, you should be ready to begin work. What work that is depends on how you've defined your product and your channel distribution. You may want to place advertising in hard copy publications. You may develop a website, use social media. You may develop a mobile application. You may look to licensing and contacting potential clients to sell licenses. Or if you own your present practice, you may look to bootstrap your telemedicine service simply as a component of your present practice and use that platform to build out and beyond your current patient base. Consider telemedicine in this context. There is no cookbook answer to this is the right next step. There are many right next steps depending on your objectives, what you want to accomplish, and how you want to accomplish them that will really become the, defi the defining factors in your success. But it does begin with defining your product, your channels, and seeking out very sound legal advice to make sure you're doing things appropriately. However, if telemedicine is your interest, don't procrastinate. Telemedicine is moving steadily into the mainstream. Already, my physician's offices are closed, and this is part of one of the largest systems in the U.S. I'm hearing similar stories when I speak with clients that primary care and non-urgent services are becoming available only by telemedicine. That is, 
telemedicine in its broadest definition. So let me take the next step. As more and more medicine is delivered remotely, the opportunity expands exponentially. Whether you're a primary care physician like the physician who contacted me and you're wanting to expand into telemedicine to deliver a more integrative approach to your patient's health care, or you're a specialist wanting to grow your practice into other geographies, telemedicine can be your vehicle. Think about this. Let's say you're a specialist in a field that is difficult to access in rural areas of your state. But patients in those areas belong to the same insurance plan as your metropolitan area. Could you partner with a rural primary care physician to do video visits with patients who would normally need to travel to see you? Or are you already doing this? If so, is it time to expand? Again, always make sure you're complying with whatever legal parameters exist, but the opportunities are certainly there. In summation, when I speak of telemedicine in its most inclusive and technologically sophisticated context, my advice is to look at it as the direction medical practice is moving and will continue to move as physician shortages loom, as both specialist and primary care access shrinks, and as patients demand more and more immediate, timely, and convenient access to medical and healthcare information. Physicians are behind the curve in communicating with patients outside traditional settings. Patients, payers, and other stakeholders will force that to change. Physicians today have the opportunity to lead this change or to have the change forced upon them. Okay, this is the last question. I answer this way too many times nearly every day. Here's the question. What do you have for me? I'm Ann. Insert your specialty here. And I'm smart and I'm willing to do anything that uses my skills and my knowledge and pays reasonably well. That's the question. Again, I answer this literally exact question multiple times each week. So let me speak briefly to it here. First, for the long answer, listen to my podcast, What's Out There Non-Clinically for Physicians. However, the shorter answer is this. Everything is out there. Your real question is, what do you want to do? No one ever contacts me because life couldn't be better. I'm contacted because you want change. So don't jump from the frying pan to the fire, as the old saying goes. What do you want to do? What impact do you want to have? What problems do you want to solve? How you answer those questions and others that define your interests, your skills, and your knowledge, those are the answers to your question. As I noted earlier, there are no recruiters seeking physicians they can remove from practice and turn into high-flying executives. So you need to know what you want to do before you can enter the job or career market and begin your transition. I realize those answers aren't easy. I know I work with clients every day to find those answers and to help them move forward with their career transitions. And if you would like some additional support for your career transition, don't hesitate to reach out to me, and I'll be glad to send you a free copy of my book, The Physician's Guide to Nine Clinical Careers. Just send me a text to 720-339-3585, include your email address, and I'll send you a PDF copy. Also, you can always submit any question or comment to the same number. For Third Evolution, this is Robert Pretty. Thank you for listening.